Last week, impeachment free. This week, can't avoid it. Got to do a little impeachment. Not going to do a lot of it, um, but we have to do some of it. So, uh, yeah, um, here we go. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at an article here. It says Representative Jordan Chides, diplomat on quid pro quo claims. And this is um, Jim Jordan saying, your clear understanding was obviously wrong. Um, before we start, we we should pray for and just be so thankful for these public servants, um, Devin Nunes, Jim Jordan, uh, Mark Meadows, um, Matt Getz, uh, many of these folks that are just leaving it on the field for you and I, exposing as best they can this stuff that's going on here. It is not an impeachment inquiry. Well, it's not an impeachment proceeding. It is an impeachment inquiry proceeding. And um, as we chronicled a little bit at the beginning of last show, and much of you are aware of this, it really... Um, but the, the interesting thing is much of you are not aware of this. So I'll, I'll kind of get to that in a moment, but the, um, what's going on with this thing is Adam Schiff is pretty much in control of what goes on. Very problematic. Um, Republicans cannot, they, they can in writing petition, Mr. Schiff to have, uh, a witness, um, uh, that they would like to, um, exam ask questions to. Mr. Schiff has 100% control over if he feels that that um, individual would be helpful to the process, and that stinks to high heaven. And secondly, if um, if the uh, folks that Adam Schiff wants to interview are, are getting in the hot seat a little bit too much and they are uh, being cross-examined a little too aggressively by the aforementioned folks, Adam Schiff can shut that down at any time as well, which he has done already um, a few days ago. And I heard um, Marie Yovanovitch today, uh, former diplomat to Ukraine, um, get saved a little bit by Mr. Schiff. So this is really the quintessential definition of a kangaroo court. Um, and that is very problematic. But I think if you want a working understanding uh, because there's a ton of moving pieces on this one. I think we don't really need to go any further than with Mr. Jordan's uh, line of questioning uh, to William Taylor the other day, who was uh, uh, another diplomat. He and George Kent were interviewed and grilled and cro well, cross-examined would probably be um, uh, not accurate. But um, Mr. Taylor, uh, when, when Mr. Jordan was um, asking him some questions, um, you know, certainly was dancing on the head of a pin, which that's what ambassadors do. That's what diplomats do. They're used to speaking for hours and absolutely saying nothing. So you or I may get in the hot seat and if we're being disingenuous or whatever, we, we may stutter or stammer, but these people can go on forever. And, um, it takes a very trained person to, uh, to cross-examine them and paint them into a corner, particularly if they're lying. And Mr. Jordan, I think, summed up the whole impeachment inquiry process by stating to Mr. Taylor, who uh, heretofore unequivocally said that he believes there was a quid pro quo between Donald Trump and, and the Ukraine president on investigating Joe Biden. Um, and, uh, Mr. Jordan said, you know, wh where did you get that, uh, undeniable, unequivocal opinion? Um, Mr. Taylor and, in in Mr. Jordan's assessment, he says, we've got six people having four conversations in one sentence. And you just told me this is where you got your clear understanding that Mr. Trump was involved in a quid pro quo. And then he puts the cherry on the Sunday by saying, and you are their star witness. If you watched what happened, um, a few days ago and I listened, I, I, I listened to it. I was, um, I was in the car, but if you watched it and listened to it, or if you listened to any, uh, and we'll get to this in a moment, Marie Yovanovitch's comments today, it's really pretty breathtaking that taking down a U.S. president, um, it, the, these bloodthirsty individuals 
are so desperate to do this that they would bastardize this um, sacred process of impeachment, which has only been done a few times in our country's history. Um, it would have been three if uh, if Nixon uh, did not have the decency to sweat, which he did. But it doesn't happen all that much. And for these people to use this and go after Donald Trump on something that's just absolutely hearsay speculation he said she said as as mr jordan chronicles six people having four conversations in one sentence many of these people um that are up there under oath indicting donald trump are just clearly stating their opinion based on based on second and third and fourth hand knowledge of the intimacy of the situation and and for that to go on at this level and the abject waste of time and money um, for something like this is, is, on the one hand, it's stupid, but on the other hand, it's very, very, very chilling. You know, oftentimes we say, oh, these Democrats, they're crazy. They do this, they do that. And we kind of shake our heads. But um, there's crazy and then there's crazy. And if you can take this thing to the level that these folks have taken it with the express uh, intent to take a president down with with the flimsiest of flimsy evidence and you have taken it this far just simply because you have numbers in the House of Representatives, that's pretty frightening. And I read some comments the other day from Nancy Pelosi. Now, I, I, I usually reserve my judgment for people when they, um, when they play the Jesus card, but sometimes I get so angry that I just have to call people out and... Um, I read something about Nancy Pelosi and this whole process saying um, this is something that it, it makes us all very sad. We're not in any great rush to do this. And he, here's the thing that, that angers me, and it should anger you if you're a born-again believer. She said, I, I'm pre all of these things are, have been done with prayerful consideration. Now, look, anybody's relationship with the Lord is their relationship with the Lord. Um can become very problematic to be a fruit inspector or you know make judgments on people's relationships with the lord but if we base any contempt that we might have for mrs pelosi for saying something that like that that this whole fiasco has been prayerfully considered by um by uh nancy pelosi you know that's um that's something that that i cannot stomach because all we have to do is go to the um, uh, go to the personal record of Nancy Pelosi, the legislative record of Nancy Pelosi, and in both of those instances, just about nothing she does resembles anything that the Lord would probably be in approval of. Um, and we, I mean, we could tick off you know ten or twelve off the top of our head. Abortion probably being um, the uh, the greatest, but um, there, there are just so many egregious things that have gone on in her personal life and uh, what she has presided over in the House of Representatives and, and how she has voted and been on the wrong side of many votes as far as the Bible is concerned. For her to say that she's prayerfully considered this is um, is basically, and I'm going to say this, people give me grief when I say it, but I don't care, uh, is whoring out Jesus, okay? Hillary Clinton did it. Um, when she was uh, going down the stretch with uh, Donald Trump, you know, um, touting her Methodistism in, in her words, not mine, and how her Methodist faith has shaped her. And, um, uh, you know, I, I have to just sit there speechless when, uh, when a woman that corrupt is kind of uh, trying to put lipstick on a pig, if you will, by, by um, using the Jesus card. And um, people do not like that. They just do not like that. It rubs them the wrong way. And when Nancy Pelosi, who's really uh, whipping the horse on this one, is saying that she prayerfully considered all this and she's going ahead with it um, as a result of her prayerful consideration, that rubs me the wrong way. And I just thought I would put that out there. Now on to um, Marie Yovanovitch. You know... <sighs> If you've been a diplomat for 33 years under six uh, presidents, 
and you got the the rug yanked out from under you by Donald Trump. I could see how you're very exercised about that. And I could see how you could be a very useful pawn by somebody that wanted to bring Donald Trump down. But if you heard her opening comments, it was, um, it was almost like Russian collusion or almost like the, the stories that um, Hillary Clinton has been forwarding. And I think to get a, a good working understanding of how bizarre Marie Ivanovich's comments are, I think you have to go all the way back to November of 2016 after Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton. Um, let's think about this logically. If you're Vladimir Putin, who do you want to be president? Do you want someone that is um, corrupt, such as you are? Do you want someone that's not very hawkish, even though her legislative record may appear to be hawkish, isn't going to really do too much in the area of foreign policy or go toe-to-toe with the Russians on just about anything? Or do you want Donald Trump? Now, make no mistake, Donald Trump is not a hawk, and he's not a big interventionist, and he is... um, He's kind of Rand Paulish, if you will, as far as getting involved in this and that and the other, um, as far as foreign policy is concerned. But certainly, if you are Vladimir Putin, you are going to prefer Hillary Clinton, um, who is very similar to Barack Obama, who's very similar to most Democrats, as it pertains to how they relate to totalitarian regimes such as Russia. And and people sometimes try to correct me on that. It really, that's what it is, okay? So the whole illogic of Trump-Russia collusion and Vladimir Putin wanting, uh, you know, um, Donald Trump to be president as opposed to Hillary Clinton, is that's a crock on its face, okay? And the reason I set it up like this is I, I heard Marie Yovanovitch this morning go on and on and on and on about the geopolitical dynamic between Ukraine and Russia and how the United States fits into all that. And the thing that's very troubling to me is if you're not a student of the game and, and you're not your head is not totally into this stuff, you could get lost very quickly. And I I'm kind of interested in it. I'm not overly interested in it. And I get lost pretty quickly. So I'm trying to disseminate this information to you. And you may be somewhere on that spectrum. You may be a political junkie. You may be somebody that, you know, listens to the news casually and, and anywhere in between. But it's very troubling when Marie Yovanovitch goes out and tries to give us a little tutorial of how, um, how it works over in Ukraine. And and she basically was touting how uh, when she was on the scene and during the Barack Obama years, uh, Obama was very uh, aggressive in, in rooting out corruption and we didn't want any corruption in Ukraine and uh, we wanted to help our uh, brothers in Ukraine as far as um, how, how their country relates to Russia, Russia annexing Crimea and being very aggressive toward Ukraine. As many of you have heard, Barack Obama basically gave them blankets and um, didn't, um, you know, didn't do a heck of a lot as far as uh, that is concerned. Um, she, She went down this very, very tortured road of saying she was for um, anti-corruption. They did their best in in scrubbing and purging um, or helping scrub and purge uh, Ukraine of corrupt individuals. And nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, The the corrupt individuals that were in place when Joe Biden and probably more accurately Hunter Biden were enriched were certainly friends of Barack Obama and uh, Maria uh, or Marie, I should say, Yovanovitch. Okay. Um, there was no pressure put on anybody to get rid of um, the, 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 this, the widespread corruption that was going on in Ukraine because the, the corruption that was going on in Ukraine was basically perpetrated by people that were um, Russian sympathists, um, sympathizers, I should say, that, that really didn't have the best interest of Ukraine or the Ukrainian people at heart. And George Soros, who we chronicled uh, last week, 
was up to his eyeballs, as he always is everywhere across the globe, in funding people that um, are in direct conflict with the principles and the liberty and the truth and justice in the American way that we in America um, stand for, okay? So th this whole narrative that Marie Yovanovitch was, um, was a champion as an ambassador to rid the country of Ukraine uh, of corruption is insane. It, it just is, and, and it, was, it, was, it was done to give her some credibility then she launches into how, and this uh, article I see here, um, she asserts that she um, she was kneecapped by the uh, by the Trump administration. It says Yovanovitch testifies of being kneecapped, as Trump claims everywhere she worked turned bad. Um, I don't know. This lady is a diplomat. She was a diplomat for thirty three years. She got fired. Happens, and. Um, she is on a crusade right now to help people that are basically making it up as they go along. And as I said before, I, I really, you know, uh, I don't see how Joe Biden as, as, um, as, uh, I gotta be clean here because it's the radio as, um, gutsy as he is, let's just say that it, it, putting himself into situations where he knows absolutely nothing, but that's never dissuaded him before. I don't know how he extricates himself from this or dances on the head of a pin because you can't talk about Ukraine. You can't talk about corruption without talking about him and his son. And that's, you just, you can't get away from that. And, um, he's got a big problem there, but, um, you know, this is where we are. And uh, they're in such a mess on the Democrat side that I see that Deval Patrick, former governor and uh, flaming leftist, uh, former governor of Massachusetts, has thrown his hat into the ring basically six weeks before the, uh, the first primary or, or a couple months before the first primary. In the annals of primaries and presidential races, this is absolutely unheard of. Um, you heard rumblings the other day of uh, a mayor Bloomberg jumping in the race. And now Deval Patrick has uh, formally said that he's jumping in the race. These are not good signs for the Democrat party. Um, a party that love them or hate them is, is very, very uh, cohesive. When, when the hierarchy says to do something, they bond together and they do it unlike Republicans. And for a party that usually tries to unite and not really eat each other up too much, um, at this stage of the game, and it is pretty late in the game, when you have a front runner that's very, very old, very, very corrupt, and can't separate himself from the very issue that his party is using to take down a sitting president, you got a problem. You've always had a problem with um, Elizabeth Warren, who is just, she doesn't have that charisma. She doesn't have that um, whatever Donald Trump has. And she's steeped in um, walking, talking controversies just about every time she opens her mouth. So, uh, you know, is it unheard of or, or that crazy that Bloomberg wants to jump into the race or Deval Patrick, for goodness sake, wants to jump and in, drop into the race? It really isn't. And, um, if I'm a Democrat, I'm a little worried about that. And as I've stated, um, coming up against the break here, I, I will say this, um, as I've stated before with elections, with forwarding what you think is the truth rather than what's a lie out there. I, I think we should target folks that are a little bit to the left of center or center or a little bit to the right of center because that animal uh, or that collection of animals, if you will, they're people that have not doggedly drank the Kool-Aid on the left or the right. They may not be political junkies. They may be garden variety, intelligent, commonsensical people that are just looking for the truth on this issue or that issue. And um, if they are, they can be ripe to be swayed. And I, I will set this up and, and discuss it a little bit more on the other side of the break. But um, that's a situation where I, I was... Um, at a, uh, at a retreat or conference, if you will, talking to a bunch of people and the, the things that were brought up to me by 
um, a gentleman who was very intelligent, uh, college educated, um, probably much more intelligent than I am, which is no great shakes. But um, he brought up to me like, hey, um, this impeachment thing, you know, if um, if they impeach Trump, he really I've been told that, that he, he doesn't get removed or anything. Um, he, he can get re- impeached and still kind of keep his job. Right now, I'm looking at him like, are, are you kidding me? Is this is this like a serious question? But we have to pause and understand something. Impeachment doesn't happen in this country very often or proceedings to impeach someone very often. The last time it happened was 20 years ago. Many people that are of voting age were not even born 20 years ago. Many people that were alive during the impeachment uh, proceedings against Bill Clinton were children or at, at, at best um, young adults. So this is not at the fore of the average uh, person that watches, you know, 10 hours of ESPN a day um, or, or may not know who their congressman is or what their state capital is. So we have to be very deferential and careful when we speak to people like that, because there are more people out there than you can imagine. Like if you did a survey right now and, and, uh, what do you know about impeachment or did you know that impeachment does not mean necessarily removal from office? That's just one step in the process. I bet you'd get a, a, uh, a huge percentage of people that um, would not know that that's the case. So I think we got to be really, you know, sometimes we, we, we talk to our political junkie friends and we get into all the details about all this stuff. But we got to be really mindful that, you know, what's going on in Washington right now is very dangerous. And the wool can be pulled over the eyes of a lot of our, you know, neighbors that may not be as, you know, up to speed on these things as we are. This is Kurt Flewelling Reshaping America. We will be right back. Kurt Flewelling Reshaping America. Let's um, put this impeachment thing to bed here. Um, yeah, you know, we, we have to kind of go down parallel roads here. On the one hand, if we're conservatives, if we understand um, that uh, almost everybody on the side of um, orchestrating this thing and, and how it's being conducted and uh, all the players, Adam Schiff, Nancy Pelosi, um, et al., uh, it's very easy to say, yeah, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. This is going nowhere. But the mere fact that it's gotten this far, just as I indicated earlier in the show, um, that it's gotten this far just simply because Democrats have numbers and House of Representatives is really, really frightening. And what's frightening is, you know, uh, stranger things have happened. Um, let me just put it that way. I've seen things in politics that uh, people's uh, disregard for protocol, the rule of law, um, uh, the uh, various historic machinations of the Senate and the House and the executive branch. And I, I've seen people just um, throw all of that out the window and be hell bent on getting what they want to get. And if you combine that with an electorate that may not be so up to speed in all this, uh, that's really scary. So I, I think on the one hand, we, we got to... Um, we got to pray for and, and thank God for Devin Nunes, Jim Jordan, um, uh, all of these folks that are they're just doing yeoman's work in um, and doing the best they can in a kangaroo court setting to really expose um, Taylor Yovanovitch, George Kent for the the just career hacks that they are and. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, we, we have to wonder how in the world did we get here? And we get here because elections matter. And um, if, you do, if you don't think they do, uh, Donald Trump was chugging right along after his election. And um, in 2018, a lot of the things that he uh, wanted to do and wants to continue to do have been seriously sidetracked by this constant drumbeat of... Um, of impeachment. And, uh, I hate to say it, but even if this one craps out, it's not going to, uh, we're going to be hearing this for the next five years if Donald Trump does get reelected. So, uh, elections matter. They really do. When you win, 
you get to do a lot of things that you want to do. And there's not a lot of things that can stop you if your opponent does not have numbers. So Jim Jordan, uh, Nunez, and, and the boys are, are and Mike, Mark Meadows are trying to do the best they can. But um, this is very troubling. Um, when the people that are being interviewed here or they're trotting up are so weak, so lame, and it is you know, uh, just hearsay after I, I think I heard this from this guy who told it to this guy who kind of heard it from this guy, then it's easier to discredit this stuff. But um, I wouldn't take this stuff lightly. Uh, it's it's a sad, sad day in our country that this is going on. We got to talk about it. But, um, you know, elections matter. And uh, you know, prayerfully consider who you're supposed to vote for each and every election. Uh, we had a elections a couple weeks ago here in Pennsylvania. The turnout was 31 uh, percent or 33 percent in my county. That's that's horrible. I mean, if you look at the back in the days when um, we liberated um, the folks uh, in Iraq from uh, Saddam Hussein, people would walk eight miles to vote, and the the, the percentage of people that voted were in the 90s. We're, we're dumb, fat, and happy in the United States, and, and sometimes this is what we get for it. So um, that is enough on impeachment. Um, I did print something about Deval Patrick. If you didn't um, didn't really know who he was, as I said, he's the former governor of um, Massachusetts. Uh, this article says, uh, this sends a message, Deval Patrick's 2020 run signals that o Obama has doubts about Biden. And it says former President Obama hasn't tipped his hand about his favorite in 2020, but Deval Patrick's entry into the primary race makes life more difficult for Joe Biden, who frequently tries to portray himself as the second coming of his friend Barack, as he refers to him as. Um, the article goes on to say, uh, Patrick, the Massachusetts governor for eight years, uh, is personally close with Obama. They were Harvard school, uh, law school graduates, and um, they've been uh, friends ever since. And it goes on to say the relationship between Barack Obama and Joe Biden was almost entirely political from the onset. And uh, I would I would echo that, you know, in 2008, um, Joe Biden having a uh, strong ties to uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania in a, in a state that um, could have been up for grabs. It certainly wasn't. But at, at that time, they didn't know um, if, uh, you know, John McCain could win Pennsylvania. He was here quite a bit. Um, I saw Sarah Palin, which was an amazing, amazing event in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. But rural Pennsylvania could have very easily tipped the scales uh, for the Republicans. And the fact that Joe Biden has ties to Scranton, Pennsylvania, a, um, a Democrat stronghold, was probably one of the reasons he was selected as a vice president. Um, and, you know, he's got some, uh, probably some sway in uh, surrounding states as well, which helped. But I, I agree with this article that their relationship was... Um, was a, a political marriage from the start. So um, I, I don't think Deval Patrick's going to make a big, big splash, but I think it does um, spell concern for the Democrats. And I, I don't even know what the deal is on, uh, on Michael Bloomberg right now, but um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, there unfortunately was a uh, terrible shooting in the state of uh, California the other day, which um, was just, I'm reading these articles and I'm literally, um, one of them, it just brought me to tears. The first one is shooting at California's Saugus High School leaves two students dead and the suspect is in custody. Um, two students, 16-year-old girl, 14-year-old are dead and three other teens are injured Thursday after a 16-year-old suspect who was transported to the hospital as in grave condition opened fire at Saugus High School. Um, in California. So this is, um, this happens to be in LA County. I think it is, um, uh, Santa Marita. Uh, let me just check that. But, um, you know, it, it, the, the, uh, I'm sorry, Santa Clarita, California, which is in LA County. It's a, it's a kind of a, a very populated area, but the, the community is 
still kind of has that small town feel. At this point in time, they really don't know the motive for this student. Um, the uh, victims seem to be selected at random and um, obviously a, a very disturbed um, young man that did this. Um, haven't heard a lot about the, uh, as you do when these things happen, the um, the mantras on the left and right um, as far as banning guns are concerned or access to guns. And then the right says, uh, basically, hell no, you're not going to take my guns. And um, Donald Trump usually, um, and rightly so, accentuates the mental health aspect of this. Obviously, if someone goes to a, um, a school and shoots it up, they are mentally ill. Although I did hear somebody on the radio, um, a, a psychiatrist egghead that tried to tease out the difference between uh, evil and mentally ill and um, saying that people that do these things might not necessarily be evil, but they could certainly be mentally ill. And um, I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, but um, I was profoundly offended by that. Anybody that could take the life of um, a fellow man in a situation like that is evil, is motivated. And, and, and that, that probably stems from how I look at most things in life. Um, there's good, there's evil. There's God-inspired things. There's Satan-inspired things. And when you start talking like that, people get a little queasy. But, um, you know, I think it's time to start talking about things like that because it, you have some egghead on the radio that's trying to tell you that um, somebody that shoots up a school, when innocent people are begging for their life and they just grin and, and blow them away, could perhaps be mentally ill, but certainly not evil. That's that's a that's a profound misunderstanding of what evil really is. And as we have done many times on this show, we we always uh, chronicle Ravi Zacharias, who um, at the cornerstone of of everything he talks about, he talks about absolutes. What do you believe in? And when people don't believe in a God, and um, rights and wrongs are are up for interpretation, and who am I to say? my way's right and your way's wrong, that's offensive. When we have a make it up as you go along society, then we have guys on the radio that are trying to um, draw distinctions between somebody that perhaps is mentally ill, but certainly isn't evil. That gentleman, as smart as he may be in whatever college he may have graduated from and what degree that they um, gave him, he uh, he does not understand evil and the forces behind evil. So when things like this happen, yeah, um, I think we have to fight when people want to take um, our rights to own guns or procure guns away or confiscate our guns and our ammunition. I think we have to draw a spotlight on the fact that um, this is a mental health issue and many of these folks could very easily have been identified uh, far before they did terrible things. I don't think we should make that leap from the former the last statement I made to uh, red flag laws where uh, we take due process and flush it down the toilet and anybody at any time for any reason could alert um, uh, a, a, an agent of the state, if you will, um, making something up out of whole cloth and preventing that person from owning a gun or uh, having their gun not confiscated or or putting them on a watch list or whatever. I think that's very problematic. I, I think we are a, a country of due process, and I, I think red flag laws, although to some very well-intentioned, are very problematic. But I think there's a, a much bigger issue that kind of transcends all those issues, and that is the fact that the individuals that are doing these things and the individuals that may be arguing, you know, anti-gun and pro-gun uh, may not be followers of Jesus Christ. There, there is a Jesus-sized hole in the, uh, in the chest of the individual that goes to a school and blows people away. And um, we need more people to know the God uh, uh, that we call God, Jesus Christ. And, and if a lot more of that was happening then a lot less of um, this carnage, this slaughter of our fellow man, this this twisted depravity would not be occurring. Um, the, the next article about this really just made me, um, and you know, it, it might make you 
you know, pause if you have children. It says California shooting prompted fearful students to text families. I love you and dad so much. And this is a young lady that uh, says when the gunfire started at a Southern California high school on Thursday morning, many students reached for their phones and started texting. Um, Thank God for phones. When terrible things happened before smartphones, um, you really couldn't um, text your loved ones and tell them you were going down in a plane or some nut was shooting at you. Um, it was just pretty much over. So this uh, this says, hey, mom, I don't know what's going on here at school, but I love you. And I'm so thankful for everything you've done for me. A frightened student at Saugus High School in Santa Clarita, California, wrote to her mom during a school shooting that killed at least two students. Everyone is saying there's a shooter on campus. I don't know what's going on, but I love you and dad so much. Could you imagine being a mom or a dad getting a text like that? That's not a text like, okay, there's been a shooting here. Um, they've sequestered the, uh, the suspect or they've shot the suspect. I'm okay. This is, hey, mom, this is going on right now. It's active. And, um, just, just amazing. The mom, you know, I, I don't know how she got it together to even write back, but it says, she says, I love you, baby. Um, stay safe. Um, so her daughter texted her, um, she was hiding in the music library with other students and later wrote, she thought she was safe now, I think because they were being escorted out by police. So, um, and they have pictures here of these anguished students that are just um, beside themselves. And, you know, as, as crazy as it is, when you and I drive down the road and hear horrific stories about this and that, it, it, it still just, it just boggles the mind that our students that do go to public school go in one day and might not come out the next day. And um, it's absolutely amazing. And, um, the uh, the gun control issue rears its ugly head. There are people on the left that uh, want to take advantage of this carnage and misery to encroach on your freedoms and your liberties, um, despite guns, or excuse me, um, quality books that have been written. John Lott has a great book. Um, it's kind of older now, but it's certainly timeless. More guns, less crime. Um, I don't even need to read Mr. Lott's book, More Guns, Less Crime. I just, um, I know uh, in, in the uh, instance of the Colorado shooter, he uh, admitted in testimony that he researched uh, five municipalities before he went um, and shot up a uh, movie theater. And what do you think he came up with? Uh, the preceding four municipalities had... Um, more lax gun laws, meaning people could carry, people could own firearms. And he just circled on the map the one uh, municipality that had very strict gun laws. Why did he do that? Because he knew if he opened up fire at the preceding four aforementioned municipalities, somebody might shoot back. And he knew that if he opened up fire in the area that he did open up fire in, there would be a very low likelihood that anybody would fire back. There's uh, what you call a sitting duck syndrome. Um, that and, and there, there's there's plenty of examples of that. And you know, uh, common sense would tell you, when's the last time that you heard of a mass shooting at a police barracks? Never. Why? Because there's a bunch of people armed in the police barracks, and the shooter knows if he goes in and starts opening fire, um, he will be shot almost instantaneously. So time and time and time again, these shooters pick areas that are gun-free zones. And then the debate starts, should you have teachers that are armed? Um, you know, uh, people on the left will say, I went to school to teach. I didn't go to school to, uh, to defend, uh, you know, myself or, or my, um, the students in this school and other people would retort, you know, there's hundreds of teachers in the school and, and there's probably a fair amount of gun owners. Wouldn't you like two or three of them to, uh, to know how to own and operate a gun and have it in a very, very secure place. And if, um, pandemonium breaks out that they, they could, um, 
help the situation uh, as, as good as our law enforcement is in this country and how quick they respond. There's always a lag time uh, from the time somebody starts shooting until uh, local law enforcement gets on the scene. Wouldn't you like to have a teacher, administrator, a janitor? It doesn't really matter. Some school personnel that is trained in the use of a firearm that could stop um, stop the carnage. So to me, kind of makes uh, perfect sense. But again, these um, I, I think there's something much, much bigger going on than uh, is somebody trying to take my guns away or don't you care about students that are getting killed? Uh, I think there's something a lot larger than that. And it is... Um, it's not just a mental illness thing. It's a, we, we have a, um, uh, just a, a lack of respect for godly things, spiritual things. And we have, uh, we have lost our way as a nation. We've lost our way as a society and, um, whatever is torturing these people, leading them to do these things, um, can be abated with, uh, Jesus Christ. Now there's people that think it's, it ain't that simple. Um, but, you know, um, let's try it, okay? Um, so we try to uh, tackle these things at every possible angle, uh, disarm law-abiding folks, um, drug the crap out of uh, uh, troubled individuals at a very early age. Um, maybe we should try a new approach, and um, that's all I'm going to say about that. So we have the um, the impeachment, the shooting in California, and... Uh, we pray for and we uh, stand with the family members of all of those individuals. Um, I'll kind of tease this one and we'll talk about it on the other side of the break. But um, this was an article that caught my attention. It says Oregon may face ICE pushback on new limits for courthouse arrests. So um, it, again, uh, ICE is, is something that is uh, very, very much needed, particularly uh, in the landscape that we have now, and is very, very maligned by many folks on the left and many municipalities, cities, sanctuary cities are very hostile towards ICE. And um, this happens to take uh, sanctuary cities to a new level and uh, now we have sanctuary courthouses which is even more problematic um, because the uh, the geographic uh, breadth of what that entails is is very very troubling so I'll talk about that on the other side of the break this is Kurt Flewelling reshaping America we will be right back our back Kurt Flewelling reshaping America winding it down um, tease this story on the other side of the break uh, Oregon may face ice pushback on on new limits for courthouse arrests. So um, this is interesting. It says, under a new rule enacted Thursday by Oregon Supreme Court Chief Justice Martha Walters, agents with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement are forbidden from arresting immigrants inside or near the state's courthouses unless the agents first receive warrants from a judge. Um, now you might say, okay, um, it's nice when people have a warrant for your arrest to arrest somebody, but, um, if somebody is wanted for something and you might not have a warrant, uh, well, I guess you would have a warrant for their arrest if they're wanted, but, but let's just say you suspect that they are, well, let's just say that they're committing a crime. Um, right then and there, uh, with this new rule, I, I guess ICE would not have the authority to arrest these undocumented individuals or immigrants or whatever you want to call them. So, um, ICE officials have had a chilly relationship. The article says with the state concerning the policy, the agency said in a stern statement, it will continue its objective. It remains unclear if that means ICE plans to directly defy Walter's latest rule, but could indicate a confrontation may occur soon. Despite attempts to prevent ICE officers from doing their jobs, ICE will continue to carry out its mission to uphold public safety and enforce immigration law and consider carefully 
whether to refer those who obstruct our lawful enforcement efforts for criminal prosecution, the ICE statement said. And lastly here, it says, ICE has turned to courthouses to arrest immigrants who qualify for deportation because local police is, or excuse me, local police have prevented county jails and state prisons from cooperating to allow wanted individuals to be transferred to the custody of immigration officials. The statement continued. So if you look at this logically, um, we have sanctuary cities and in Oregon, I'm, I'm convinced, even though I haven't looked it up, Portland is probably a sanctuary city. There are probably many other sanctuary cities um, where city officials from the top to the bottom have basically told ICE um, enforcement, you're not going to arrest, detain, deport anyone in this city. And uh, it, that, that happens to be an undocumented uh, immigrants or illegal alien or whatever you want to call them. So they're called sanctuary cities for a reason. Those individuals are safe there and you can flock there if you are undocumented uh, immigrant that is basically has not done anything unlawful aside from coming into this country illegally, uh, all the way up to somebody that has committed rape, murder, all sorts of things. You know where to go if you have half of a brain and you go to a sanctuary city and no one can basically touch you in a sanctuary city. Now, that's a recipe for chaos. That's anarchy. And um, that really doesn't need to be debated when when you are a criminal and you know you can go somewhere um, like a child touching an oak tree and saying, I'm I'm um, I'm safe. You can't uh, tag me here. That's that's insane. You can't do that. However, that's not good enough for the left in Oregon, who has also worked, as the article says, um, with jails and state prisons um, who uh, have been petitioned by ICE, I, I would presume here, to uh, to transfer uh, inmates uh, over to uh, their custody. Um, they've thwarted that as well. And ICE, um, just kind of wanting to protect you and I for some strange reason, has resorted to before this um, ruling of nabbing people um, in or near uh, courthouses. Now that would, again, I, I'm a due process guy, but if they have folks on a list that are clearly um, illegal aliens and they are being, um, they're going into a courthouse now, um, I don't know. I, I think, it, well, I do know. It is it is absolutely fair game for ICE to be apprehending those individuals because, quite frankly, those individuals do not have the constitutional right to due process as you and I have as citizens of the United States. They simply do not have that. That's not up for debate. They don't have that. So when ICE has a list of individuals who are in the country illegally, who are walking up the courthouse steps, I'm presuming heretofore they were able to nab them and um, and get them anywhere in the state. Uh, probably a harder um, uh, feat to pull off in a sanctuary city. But this ruling by the judge, um, Martha Walters, uh, Supreme Court chief in Oregon, um, tells them that they cannot arrest immigrants inside or even near the state's courthouses unless the agents first receive warrants from a judge. And sometimes that takes time and it's hard to do that. And again, um, you know, if you're a freedom and liberty person, you're saying, well, uh, I'd want somebody to serve me with a warrant rather than just kick my door down and take me somewhere. I'd like a little due process and you would be correct. But these individuals are not citizens of the United States of America, and they are not afforded the same rights as you and I are. So if ICE wants to do this, they have every right, at least in my estimation, to do it. But we are at a crossroads here in the state of Oregon where ICE is not really well received by um, politicians, uh, judges, uh, people in sanctuary cities. So again, the folks in ICE who put their life on the line every single day for you and I are again thwarted in um, 
potentially uh, nabbing individuals that may have, um, you know, uh, nefarious intent towards you or me or, or one of our loved ones. So not a good thing. Um, let me, uh, we got a few minutes here. Let me, let me wrap it up with a couple of lighter things. Can we do that? Um, so an interesting article This says Texas homeowners association demands that the family in one of their you know, dwellings or apartment complexes or townhouse, whatever's, um, take down their Christmas decorations because they're up too early and the family says they won't comply. So we go from ice and, uh, impeachment chaos to something that's a little lighter here. Um, and, um, these folks, this, this, uh, family happened, the mom has two little kids and she happens to be pregnant. And in her words, she's getting, um, big real quickly and she can't really help her husband, um, much longer. So they wanted to get their Christmas decorations up by November 1st, um, an inflatable snowman and, uh, and some other things. Uh, I think it was a reindeer and something else. And, um, the homeowners association said, no, no, it's, um, it's too early for that. It's November 1st. Now, you know, informally, we all kind of think it's early when we see, um, Christmas stuff up, um, around Halloween. A lot of that's because we feel bad that we, um, we haven't taken our Christmas stuff down from last year and we're kind of lazy, but, um, uh, you may be surprised to hear me say this. Um, I'm not a big homeowners association guy. I don't think I would ever live where somebody would tell me how long my grass has to be or give me a citation because of uh, my flowers haven't been watered, you know. But um, let me end this way. If you get into a homeowner's association situation and you sign whatever 25-page thing they say you got to sign, you got to do what they want you to do. And there's there's been tons of cases about um, they can't tell me what flag to fly and they can't tell me uh, you know, if I want to put my socks, drape them on the, uh, on the porch, I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to put, yeah, they can. Yes, yes. And yes, they can. You sign something from a homeowner's association. I would never do it, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't, um, can't pay your fee and have your lawn all nice and manicured and this and that and the other. And, um, but then when they want a little, whatever, um, you, you can't cry foul. If you want to, if you want your grass to be up to your knees, if you want to put your sweat socks out on your uh, porch, if you want to fly, whatever flag you want to fly, don't uh, engage in a homeowner's association agreement and you're going to be that much better for it. So uh, that's how we end the show today. No, uh, no sympathy for the guys that have their uh, Christmas stuff up a couple months early. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Until the next time, have a great day.